something outside. What is that? Monster X Radio here for another episode of On the Shoulders of Giants with Thomas Steenberg in the studio. Welcome him back. Thomas, how are you? I'm doing fine, my dear. I'm doing just fine. I, I didn't hear the music, so I didn't know we were starting or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, neither did I. I was like, oh, I think I forgot to add it on, so um, when we, we'll we'll edit that in for our listeners so they'll hear the, the um, beginning, which we did not. <laughs> Oops, my bad. This is our fourteenth. This is our fourteenth show, and it it just knocks me out of wake when it doesn't go the way it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been fourteenth uh, show. That's amazing. I mean, it just I it just feels like yesterday that we started this adventure so that's that's pretty awesome yeah i guess we can call this our halloween show yes i love halloween everybody knows me knows that i have i am a halloween freak and uh, <laughs> i love to decorate and all that fun stuff but the kicker is that i can't go to haunted houses because i'm too afraid of them <laughs> makes no sense <laughs> No sense, but I love decorating and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, for for this Halloween special, we are going to um, talk some more about Thomas's books that he has written. I know our last episode we began discussing it, and then we got a little sidetracked with talking about Red Eye Shine. So, we decided we're going to go back and finish up. You know, talking about the books because I do have, I have two of your books and I need to get that third one. So um, that's what I'm going to be getting myself for Christmas. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which one don't you have? Um, let's see. I have uh, the one with the on the shoulders. Or uh, no, the, yeah, on the shoulders of the giants. Giant. Yeah, yeah, on the mm-hmm. shoulders of giants, and then, um, gosh, what's what's the name? What's the name of your other two? Uh, the first one was called the Sasquatch in Alberta. That came out in 1989-1990, and then 1993, Sasquatch Bigfoot: The Continuing Mystery. Okay, it was Sasquatch in Alberta. That's the one I have. Okay, the, so the old yellow one I'm, or the new re-release? The newer one. Okay, yeah, that just got republished last September. It had been out of print for a long time. 
Matter of fact, the original publishing company, Western Publishers, they've been gone for decades. <laughs> but uh, wow. Hancock House decided to publish it uh, September of 2018. So, yeah, I'm kind of happy yep, about that's... that. And of course, so we added about yeah. uh, 20 pages of new material to it in the back, too, because I still heard about reports in Alberta long after I left. So, mm. mm-hmm. so uh, let's... So your first one was um, the Sasquatch in Alberta? Correct. The Sasquatch in Alberta was the first book. That came out in 1989-1990. Okay, uh, I was Yeah, I was living in Alberta at the time, and in and, and those days I was basically the only researcher in the whole province. That, that and I late friend and colleague, Professor Vladimir Markotic, and he kind of took me under his wing, so to speak, introduced me to people, and uh, uh, basically that's how I got started. I did the field work, and we were, and he was kind of like my, we were kind of like unofficial partners, and he did the academic stuff. And uh, I decided to, because no one other than a few stories in John Green's older books, no one had ever talked about what what happened on the Alberta side of the Rocky Mountains. So being in Alberta, I thought I'd write the first, and that resulted in the Alberta book, and uh, it was pretty well received. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, w- when you first started out with uh, doing investigations in Alberta, were you surprised at all by the, the number of people who came forward? Well, absolutely, because I started out in a very old-fashioned way. I had to, uh, we didn't have Internet or anything like that then. So what was I to do? I put ads in local papers, you know, and the ads were very straightforward and to the point. Sasquatch, if you believe you have seen this creature, contact Thomas Steamer again, my phone number at the time. And I didn't expect any result, but, heck, my phone was ringing on a daily basis. Wow. Most of them. Oh, no, some crank calls, of course, but uh, 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 there were a lot of people who had seen something and didn't know who to talk to about it or what to do about it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And now, and it, the people that called, did you, um, I know that you you can get a pretty good feel of whether someone's BSing or not. Um, you just have that that knack. It seems like a natural knack that you have. Once you um, felt that they were legit, is that when you made arrangements to go see some of the people? Correct, correct. But I, I did interview a lot of people that I would not interview today, put it that way. Because when I started, <laughs> it's a learning process, and you learn everything drip by drip by drip. I went and interviewed <laughs> a lot of strange people, let me tell you. <laughs> Now, did you interview anybody that that thought that they uh, were interdimensional beings or anything like that? All kinds of things. You name it, interdimensional beings. A couple of women claimed they had Sasquatch lovers. uh, (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You know, <laughs> and uh, paranormal, supernatural, I gave birth to a baby, big, but that kind of thing, you know, tabloid stuff, people just seeking wow. attention. But what really impressed me were people who saw something strange. They didn't know what it was. 
they it shook them up, and they told me the story, and they basically wanted me to tell them what it is they saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are the ones yeah. that fascinated and And I, through time and experience, I got pretty good at, you know, after talking to them for a little while on the phone, basically separating, you know, what I would call, you know, lunatic fringe stuff from people who are really who really believe they saw something because right from the beginning i've always had the three the, you know the only three possibilities in this and we you know i've discussed this before uh, one they saw a sasquatch two they mistook somebody or something for a sasquatch or three they're lying and believe me there's a lot of number three going on there always has been mm-hmm yeah. Yeah, it seems like it gets worse than better. Now, yeah. when you first started interviewing people, um, had you ever interviewed anybody that had a not so good encounter with one of these creatures? Anything that was like aggressive from the Alberta area? In Alberta, no, not really. There was a kind of unnerving instance, but it always seemed to be. Just for the vast majority, people just get a quick glimpse of something before it disappears. You know, they, they see that on the, off the side of the road or across the road in front or they start on the tree line, and it would immediately retreat back into the tree line. And almost, it seemed to me, every time the, the subject realized it had been spotted, it wasted no time in retreating. There were a couple okay. of instances were like bluff charged or they feel they were bluff charged but the but the subject never went through through carried on with the attack i don't know of any account where someone was intentionally attacked by a sasquatch and i still don't at least not since the 1940s yeah mm-hmm. yeah and that's interesting who knows if those old stories are true it's just people guessing that it was a sasquatch responsible you know we do have people who disappear every year in wilderness areas, and I have no doubt if you ran into a hostile Sasquatch, you probably would tend to disappear. But in the vast majority of all eyewitness accounts I know of, and it always has been this way, is the animal retreats from us much faster than we retreat from it. Well, it's probably um, survived because it's done that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's a... Um, Exclusiveness by nature is the, probably the biggest reason we still have a mystery on our hands. And that's why it is still undocumented and undiscovered. Either that or it's not there and there is nothing there. Hmm. Yeah, that's the well, way I look. So many people, yeah, there's so many people that have um, believed they have seen one. Um, it, it just seems... To me, now I have not seen what I would call the, that I can say, yes, I know what I saw was a Sasquatch. You know, I've seen some unusual things in the woods, but I, I can't say it was Sasquatch for sure related. Um, but now, for folks that may not know much about Alberta, can you kind of give us an idea of, of um, is it a lot of, of mountainous, vast forest, that kind of thing? 
Well, Alberta is Canada's uh, province right next to British Columbia. It's basically, to put it uh, in terms of the uh, for our American listeners, it's Texas North. Okay. Um, okay. Alberta is very conservative in its political views. It's very, very heavily forested in the northern part of the province. It is flat, wide-open prairie and sage-grass country east of Calgary, all the way across to the rest of the prairies. But as soon as you enter the Rocky Mountain foothills, that changes drastically. And all of a sudden, you're in alpine mountain country as you enter into the foothills of the Rocky Mountains where it is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful mm. wilderness mountain country. And and the, I looked at it the first time when I looked at the Rocky Mountains, caught a glimpse of the first time in my life. It was such a beautiful winter's, clear winter's day, and it was a Chinook going on. I thought I was looking at an old movie paint backdrop. It, it looked so beautiful it almost looked fake. Mm. And I remember saying to myself wow. two things that day, two things. I said, one, I am never living anywhere east of this spot again. And two, if they've been seen in eastern B.C., they have to be seen here, too. That's what got me going looking into the Sasquatch in western Alberta. Hmm. So basically these creatures could, um, or a creature that would be called a Sasquatch, could live in that area easily without being, um, you know, discovered, if you will, multiple times over and over. Or, you know, um, people say, well, if they're there, why, you know, why haven't we discovered them yet? There's plenty of area there for them to lose themselves into if they wish and not communicate with us. We're talking about an area the size of Washington and Oregon State put together with the population of one of them cities, only one city spread out throughout. Mm. Wow. That's the kind of area so we're talking about. that's a pretty about. good idea. Yeah. So yeah, with that much area and the small amount of people, and then to have, you know, the sightings that you actually do, it just kind of makes you wonder what else is there that we don't know about going on in that area. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a wondrous place. The only thing that confuses me, if, it's, if there is a Sasquatch in Alberta, it must be a very hardy because the winters there are absolutely brutal. Uh, they, uh, you get massive snowfall and absolutely freezing temperatures all through the winter months. Matter of fact, one thing I, I remember most of all is on the back roads, the Forest Service roads, usually they were still basically snowbound until late June every year. And, wow. uh, but that varied from year to year to year, depending on conditions, of course. But yeah, the winters are long, brutal, cold, and, and, they, they, <laughs> and if there is a Sasquatch, it must be one hardy hardy type animal at least a lot more hardy than the creatures that exist on the west coast mm-hmm. hmm. that's interesting that, that kind of makes me so you've had actual um, and I'm not sure you know how much people actually get out and, and go in the woods in these conditions themselves but um, 
you have documented cases of them being seen in the dead of winter? Yes, but not as often. Sightings tend to go down quite a bit in the winter months, but that could be just because there are fewer people out Mm -hmm. in the wilderness areas in the winter months, and the ones that are are making a lot of noise. You know, that could be a simple explanation for that, you know. But again, most of the winter encounters is basically when an animal comes close to people rather than the other way around. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they don't, um, and the, this could be a whole other show sometime down the road, um, but they, if they are being seen in some of the most harsh, brutal conditions of winter there, it makes you wonder that they may not migrate necessarily away then, like some people would I don't assume. think they do. I think, I think if the Sasquatch is a migratory animal, we'd know more about them by now. Because we seem to get sightings, at least in my experience, sightings seem to continue in the same general areas all four seasons of the year at different times and different, you know. uh, There doesn't seem to be much indication that they leave. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't don't particularly think they migrate anywhere. It's possible, I suppose. I mean, you could, from the southern border of British Columbia, you can migrate all the way up to Alaska, you would only cross five five major road systems. It's all wow. mountainous after, uh, through that because, uh, yeah, it's possible, but I, I don't see any evidence for that because, as I said, uh, in around Water Valley, Alberta, we got a site in August. We had another one in January. It would, it would, still, it would still occur. Hmm, now that's interesting because Humans could not um, survive those conditions, so that that's um, it's kind of a head scratcher. What how well, they survive again, that? Well, primate, there's only it has to have a means of dealing with cold weather. Humans do it because we use our brains. We invent things like clothing, housing, heating, that kind of thing. And we didn't have that ability. There's only one other solution. We'd have to evolve with a very nice coating of hair and be very large. Mm. So it's no other surprising that the one higher primate needs to be walking around is a, evidently a very large one. If people were reporting something the size of a spider monkey loose in the in the woods of Alberta and British Columbia, there'd be something wrong. So it's not surprising that the one other primate ape-like creature that seems to be exist here happens to be a very large one. To me, that fits. Right. That's that's good. That's very good insight. And yeah. now, what what is the largest size that um, someone has reported to you as far as uh, the height goes? Do you recall that in your book? What was there a particular one that was over eight, nine foot tall, or? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, in Alberta, in around the Nordeg region, for a period of time between 1948 and 1984, there was a whole rash of reports of extremely tall Sasquatch. Uh, we're talking 13, 14, 15 feet tall. And for, there, were reports of, there were reports of normal-sized ones in between, but for some reason... All these extreme height reports were in the same general area, and as far as I know, after 1984, they stopped. Hmm. 
And the most famous one of that is probably one of Alberta's most famous Sasquatch reports, and that's the Bighorn Dam incident of 1969, where five workmen claimed they watched a, fi- a creature they estimate to be 15 feet tall walking along the high river ridge. Dang, that's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. And Ronaldo Mel, not too long after that, was driving along Route 11. He claimed to see three creatures cross the road from him. He said every darn one of them was about 13 feet tall. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that that's interesting, Thomas. Because uh, going back to what you just said a few minutes ago about you know to survive, they'd have to be very large and very hair covered, and boom, that then you have these reports. I don't know of reports in the states of that caliber and that many of, of that height. I mean, you have some in Texas people think they've, you know, seen 10, 11, 12 feet. I think 12 feet is usually the highest that some people have reported here. Um, so that's, that's a very uh, interesting thing to look at. Um, and what's really interesting the real interesting thing about it was it that they were all in the same general area. I mean, all within you know eighty miles of the Bighorn Dam and Abraham Lake and the and the small community of Nordag. And why were they all in the same area? And why have they stopped? It's almost like there was a small popula- uh, This Alberta had a small population of extremely tall animals, and who knows? They may have you know, lived out their lives, going about their business, and uh, they may be, those particular individuals are all dead by now. Who knows? Because all the time this was going on, we were getting reports of six, seven, eight-foot creatures, too. But for some reason, all the extreme height reports in Alberta were in the same general area, and they and they lasted about 40 years, and then they stopped. But hmm. I get the odd one. British Columbia of extreme tall reports too. For instance, on December 21st, 2012, right here, a gentleman driving down Wilson Road saw a creature pass pass into someone's driveway that was on the side of the road, and there was a great big beam overhang that's uh, that's uh, 12 and a half feet off the ground, and he said it had to duck to get under it. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I you oh. know I, that just. Oh my God! I, if I saw something like that, I don't know how I'd. I don't know. He freaked. Know. He almost got in a car accident further down the road because he took off in a panic when he saw it. <laughs> oh, I, I bet so. Mm-hmm. And that—that's. How can you mistake? If you see something like that, and you actually have some, you know, uh, something to uh, judge the height by, it's harder to mistake. What the height of what that you saw, if you have that particular situation, so that is um, that would be very creepy to see something have to duck to get through. It'd be absolutely amazing. I mean, I I look back on the thing the one time I may have seen one. Remember, I've told you about that mm-hmm. uh, down by the so power, away, power line. Yes, but it was so far away. I mean, the way I'm I, going back there, and I said, geez, if I put a man there, I don't think I could hardly see him at all. Yet this thing, it seemed big even for a Sasquatch, the way I remember. Wow. 
Uh, maybe memory and time is playing tricks on me. I don't know. But the way I remember in my head, I could see it walking, and I could only see it from about the knees up because of foliage it was walking through. And I think that foliage today comes up to almost my shoulders, if not my head. So. Um, <laughs> uh, and where was that at? That was about that, that's about twenty kilometer or twenty miles up the west side of Harrison Lake. Okay, that's right, Harrison Lake. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just just uh, before the valley, the turn off to uh, Mystery Valley, appropriately named, where I've looked at a number of reports over the years. <laughs> yeah, and that's also something I've noticed. Um, a lot of the places where these things have been sighted have different names um, to them that include ape or devil or mystery or, you know, those kind of things. So, um, and that goes back, you know, very long time that they were named that. So and some of them bad like too, like Canyon. the Valley. Yeah. Canyon. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Don't yeah, I read about that. Hear you, <laughs> yeah, Canada's got a lot of stories up there, guys. If, if you're not familiar with the the mysteries in, in Canada, definitely check into that because um, I've heard, I've heard and read some stories that are just it makes you never want to get lost in the woods of Canada. I can tell you that. No, no, no. Canada is a beautiful, wondrous place to visit and do research, but it is wilderness, and it's not for the timid. I mean, um, mm-hmm. if you're easily scared in the woods or in the dark, don't get involved in this research. <laughs> Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Cause, <laughs> who knows what all lurks up in there? All right, yeah. so going back to your book, Alberta. Um, what uh which story from your uh that book stands out the most to you if you if you were to pick one well the if the pick one that I personally looked into would have to be the Crandall campground incident. okay that's that was in yeah. the alberta book I've... yeah that that well actually i only I had to delay its publication because I wanted to include little bits of it in the in, in the Alberta book. But yeah, it is included in the book because the book was in production at the time this happened, which was it was 1988, right? And uh, that one impressed me because we had four witnesses, uh, all professional people, who actually reported it to the Park Warden's office, and they did it, they did an investigation at the time. So the whole thing impressed me, and I was able to interview all four of them independently, and it's quite an amazing story. We've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. When you have that many people I, I, have seen the same thing, you know, mm-hmm. it tends to to give a little bit more credit to that mm-hmm. report. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Crandall Campground incident someday looked on as a Sasquatch classic. Same way, you know, uh, Ruby Creek and Albert Osman and the Ape Canyon incidents are, you know, uh, be in that category. It should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So now after your um, first book, what what year did you write the second book? 1993 it came out. In 93. Okay. And the name of that book is, again? Sasquatch Bigfoot, The Continuing Mystery. The Continuing Mystery. I basically mystery. went over okay. everything, everything I did in the Alberta book and updated everything. Yeah. Okay, and now was there um, reports in there from other places besides Alberta? Yes, yeah, British Columbia, of course. Yeah. Okay, so British Columbia, Columbia, and Alberta investigation. Western okay. Canada. Yeah, I haven't written about the Pacific Northwest of the United States too much because I figured enough of my American colleagues and friends are already doing that. So. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh... I kind of, I. My book's all kind of stuck close to home for the most part, yeah. Right. And, and then and, that uh, one – no, go ahead. Yeah, that book came out in 1993 and was very well received. It was done by – it was the first book I did that was put out by Hancock House Publishers, and they've basically published everything I've done ever since because the original company, Western, that originally did the Alberta book, they went under when – the government brought in the GST tax, and so many publishing houses shut down after that. And uh, matter of fact, my book was the second last book they did before they closed their doors. Mm-hmm. And then Hancock House took over, and they and they uh, I did this book, and they put it all together for me. And though know, I'm not not happy, I mean, uh, you write it, but uh, you only get a smidgen of the whatever money it makes. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I wasn't right. doing this for the money in the first place, so I was just happy to get it out. And uh, a lot of interesting cases that will go up until 1993. All about Alberta and British Columbia. Yeah. Now, now with the ones in British. With... And we happen to put that one on to coincide with, a, with what, what a, a first. Uh, major symposium we had in Harrison Lake during Sasquatch days in 1993. So, And that was the conference? Yeah, that was the conference we had, and that was really the uh, first conference since the Palman Conference in 89. Uh, they became a regular normal thing for a few years after that, but 1993 was the first one, yeah. Hmm. Now, is that the conference that you were at when somebody approached you and told you about their story? About which story? I've had a lot of of stories in those conferences. Are you talking about the (laughs) Mike McDonald? By any chance? Is that the one you have to be referring to? No, nope, nope. That happened after this book was published. That happened in 1997. Uh, oh, okay. Ninety-seven, we had the conference in Vancouver at the Planetarium and Museum that year, and that's where Mike McDonald approached me. I so the book was out long before that happened, so it wasn't included. But I did include it in my third book, which was the In Search of Giants, and that came out in two thousand. Yeah, and that's a really good book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my that, that's the one I'm most proud of. Yes. Yeah, that that came out really good. Yeah. Your interview style is um 
very well projected in your books. And I know that you, in our last show, you had said that um, they were trying to get you to edit some of the way that you wrote out exactly how people were talking, you know, word for word for what they told you. And they were trying to get you to clean it up you, you you know and i say hey look at, i'm not interviewing christopher hitchens every darn time you know people will get a clearer view of who we're talking to if you basically write down what they said word for word and i've always been a staunch advocate of that uh they wanted me to clean up you know correct your grammar and stuff like that i said no because that's not what they said you know, that's not how they said it. That may have been how they would have said it if, like I said, it was everybody was Christopher Hitchens or maybe <laughs> even William Shakespeare. Yeah, I said, no, this right. is how they said it. So you put in all the all the ums and ahs and stuff like that. But sometimes, you know, you had to get, because some people say, yeah, I came up and I saw it and um and and then um and 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 oh let me think um yeah, <laughs> you don't do that all the time yeah you know right. you just put in a couple of ums and ahs there and it gives you the idea but the way they they wanted me to do it they wanted me to like everyone was a, a major studier of William Shakespeare and uh, mm-hmm. or, or like I said you know talk like Christopher Hitchens or. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. That's just exactly. not who we're dealing with. We're dealing with normal people who had an incredible encounter with something, and I want to write down what they said and how they said it. And I stuck to that, and I think I was right. Yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree with that. Um, and I know that you had interviewed several um, First Nations people, and I really enjoyed reading how they you know, perceive things and it's a little bit different than um, what someone down here might, you know, see it as. And I I found that to be just so, um, just come right out from their soul, you know. It's like they're, they're not afraid to talk about what they saw because, to a lot of them, they already know they exist anyways because it's, you know, brought up in their culture and it's a part of their uh, stories and traditions. So to many of them, it's not a matter of do they exist. It's a matter of expressing what, what happened when they saw one. Yes, but I, my experience up here, anyway, dealing with most First Nations, is um, the population seems to be evenly divided. You get the people who believe in the old mythology and the old folklore and, and you know, and the old history and stuff, and accept it as fact. Then you get that segment who said, yeah, there probably is such a thing, but it's a, it's an ape. And then you get the other half, which is I've never seen anything. So I don't think there is such a thing. So most First Nation communities don't seem to be any different than anywhere else. And another thing mm-hmm. I discovered up here with dealing with First Nations, if you deal with a particular First Nation, my experience has been don't mention any other First Nation because they probably don't like each other and they'll stop talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, the um, 
so when you now have you been on reservations and oh yeah took reports okay okay mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah and many different ones and you did and, investigations uh, yes yeah, just a hand I mean uh, most of the counters report from First Nations you you, you if you didn't mention it was a First Nation, you wouldn't know the difference. You know, they're out hunting, they see a glimpse of something, and they couldn't believe what they were looking at, or they're on the river bank, and they saw something come out of the trees on the other side, and as soon as it spotted them, it retreated. It's, it's usually the same sort of scenario. Yeah. Hmm. And, and they've actually Just spotted have- them on their reservation land. Oh, of course. Like uh, the right down the road from mm-hmm. east is, is the Halitz First Nation, which is where the word Sasquatch was first coined in 1929. That's where the name came from. Wow. So that's not far from you. No, just 10 minutes down the road. Well, I'll be. See, that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Huh. It's lucky you. going in there and going in there and listening to the elders t- tell the, their traditional stories because in their oral history, the Sasquatch are a giant tribe of hairy people. They defeated in battle eons ago, and, they, and the, the Sasquatch retreated or Sustucks or Suscuts. Best way is to take the word basket and put S T in front of it. Suscuts. That's basically the best way to pronounce the way they did originally. And a man named J.W. Burns took that name, and he wrote an article that appeared in McLean's Magazine on April 1st, 1929. And he took their word, Suscuts, and he misspelled and mispronounced it, and he called it Sasquatch, and it's been known as Sasquatch in Canada ever since. Yeah, I do remember reading about him and and the mm-hmm. whole uh, episode of what, they, what he had heard, the stories that were told, and... <laughs> And then he, like you said, um, didn't properly write it down how it was told to him. And then it became Sasquatch, which really did yeah. not have a Canadian meaning, that particular word. No, you, you'll see a lot of people call it. say it, it means wild men or something like that. Well, yes, but that's a, sort of a meaning we've given to it since. At the time, it was just a name. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, we get the name. Yeah. Um. And, and that's where then the Stahelis uh, oral history and tradition, the Sasquatch would come, and they would spot them at a certain time of year on the top of Morris Mountain, as the Sasquatch would gather up there. And Morris Mountain is really just a great big tree-covered hill. But back in the day, maybe the turn of the 19th to 20th century, Morris Mountain was basically where semi civilization ended and beyond it was all true wilderness right and uh, of course today uh, there's been logging up there and everything else so uh, Morris Mountain is just a big hill and it's prominent in their legend and mythology and oral tradition and history uh, with the Sasquatch lore but uh, other than that it doesn't really mean very much hmm hmm now, so now with uh, W. Burns, when he was writing his stories, he was just writing down what he was told, so he wouldn't try to separate uh, what was obviously someone telling a, a, a oral history a fancy story uh, 
or something they actually thought they saw. Hmm. And, and now did he he wrote this down in journals and then publicized, publicized some of it? Well, he worked for the longest time up here. Basically, um, he was what they referred to in those days as an Indian agent. And to put it not too politically incorrect, he was a spy for the crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was very, he was very popular amongst the people, and he filled in his time fill, uh, teaching at the local school. And there are many old, old elder people in the in the Stahelis Reserve today who said if it wasn't for J. W. Burns, none of the kids would have bothered going to school. I mean that's how popular, and they've got to trust him and they, and, and and revere him and. They told them their stories, and they're all history. And of course, uh, the Suscots was part of it. And he mm. wrote and very sympathetic to the plight of the First Nations on the reserves. So he he wrote articles in, in Canadian magazine, and he just happened to write one for uh, 1929 for McLean's magazine. It was called "Introducing BC's Harry Giants." Uh, and again, he misspelt the word, and he called it Sasquatch, and that's how Sasquatch was introduced to the non-First Nation community and the rest of Canada. Mm. And and you said 1929. 1929, April 1st, April Fool's Day. So that sort of tells you uh-huh. how serious the magazine took the took the idea. Uh-huh. Mm. Oh, and it seems like not much has changed with that with the media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, J.W. Burns, I know, after he retired, he ended up moving to California, to the United States, and he lived out the rest of his life down there in, in uh, California. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. See, there's a lot of a lot of interesting history involved in this whole Sasquatch thing. If for people who are interested, um, there's a lot of, of behind-the-scenes stories that are, I find to be fascinating. Now, with oh, the absolutely. Book, um, you, with the British Columbia situation, where where did you take the most reports from? Would it be Alberta or British Columbia? Oh, definitely British Columbia. Even when I was living in Alberta, for everyone I heard about locally in Alberta, I would hear two or three from British Columbia. And, and do you, what do you think, why that is? Is it because it, is it more populated or more people get out? I mean, what I do, think, what do you so. think? Um, when I started, I was basically the old school. I mean, the Sasquatch or Bigfoot, as you call it in the United States, with the Pacific Northwest phenomena maybe little patches mm-hmm. here and there and other places, but it's basically a Pacific Northwest phenomena. And, of course, Pacific Northwest, the Canadian part, is Western British Columbia. So the British Columbians always had Sasquatch all the way across it. And in Alberta, for the most part, it was only in the north where you get the boreal forest going the whole way across the province or the extreme western parts in the south, which is the Rocky Mountains. Didn't get too many reports in the prairies. Hmm. That's telling. And that and the fact that it is bitterly cold in Alberta in the wintertime. Whereas the West Coast, like where I am now on the West Coast, the B.C. West Coast, this is like the tropics of Canada. Uh, more often down at sea level, we barely get any snow in the wintertime. More rain. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, I've never been to British Columbia, man, but I tell you what, I'd love to go because it looks just absolutely stunning. You'll never forget it. I bet not. Yep. Not only that, and but I not, think you guys have some really Washington, Oregon, people. Northern California, same thing. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So let's, we've got about 15 more minutes, so I want to make sure we get all the, the books discussed. Um, let's talk about the last one, which I, I, I like that one the best as well because it just seems like um, there was – you definitely evolved in your research and the way that you wrote it and not, you know, changing it up like you did. I, I just, if you listeners have not got that book yet, definitely encourage you to get get his books and especially the last one because you will enjoy reading it. Um, you know, it, it puts you right there with the, the person he's interviewing. You, you know, you can almost, get an idea of their personality. And like you said, that is important when you're taking a report. Absolutely. It's, it's a, as far as I'm concerned, it, it gives you, a, the reader, a better picture of, uh, of uh, who you were dealing with. And, and what was the, um, in that, the last book, uh, On the Shoulders of Giants, what did you have any uh, aggressive reports in, in that one? Well, a few semi-aggressive ones. By the way, the, the title of the book is "In Search of Giants," not "On the Shoulders of Giants." Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in, search. <laughs> in search of giants. I have "On the Shoulders of Giants" on the brain. It's the name of our program um, here. There. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> this is your show. This is your show, not mine. This is your show. Uh, 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 giant, yeah, there was uh, a few, but not any indication of people being intentionally harmed. Hmm. And I don't have that many. I mean, there are a few accounts of people disappearing, and there's some cases of First Nations Reserve where children have disappeared, and some people say, well, the Sasquatch got them. You know, that kind of thing. There's no evidence for that. People disappear every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember Bill Miller and myself in 2006. We came across the spinal column and ribcage of a man who had disappeared four years before. God knows what happened to him. You know, that kind of thing happens. Wait a minute. Dangerous. You guys. You get hurt. You get hurt. You may not get out. As simple as that. Yeah. Wait a minute. You just said that you guys found the spinal column and remains of, of a person that was missing? Yeah, yeah, I've told you about this before. It was uh, up Garner Creek Forest Service Road. We were way back in there, about 30 kilometers up in our Polaris UTV, and right off this old little old logging road that we were going on, and we found, well, first we found, saw a shoe, and then we found a backpack with some stuff in it. That was looked like it had been there quite a while, and then uh, right next to that, there was a spinal column rib cage. And I thought, Jesus, that looks wow. human. Yeah, <laughs> human. <laughs> and uh, we brought part of it back well, on the RCMP request. We went back and brought it in, and then uh, it turned out this guy had been reported missing in the Hope area four years before. So, at least that's wow. what I was told. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's amazing. Yeah, and it was miles away from where he was originally hiking, or so, or whatever. So who knows what happened to him and how he ended up there? And we only found the spinal column and the rib cage. Where were the rest? Never found. Hmm. Yeah, the the woods can be a brutal place to get lost. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so with the reports of, um, you know, the occasional bluff charge, but not really anything where, you know, a person was snatched up or, or it came after them through the window of the house or anything like that, um, uh, and there's been a few reports of them looking in windows and coming on porches and banging on walls and stuff like that, but no, not not no report of them attacking a human being. In other words, we hmm. don't have a monster out there that's going to eat you. At least, uh, as far as I know, you know I'd well, be more concerned. With, with four legs. Yeah, I'd be more concerned with things with four legs and claws than a Sasquatch. Well, true, because, I mean, if these things were out to get us, I think that we would have some type of proof of that by now. Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, there's some old stories, like in the Cultus Lake, the couple were honeymooning in a cabin disappeared, and uh, somehow the story got started, a Sasquatch broke in and took them away, and, you know, um, but who knows if that's just all... um, grown into a legend mythology on its own through time and what really happened even if the story itself which is ever true we don't know it's the same thing they say this this person has disappeared and down the states you got a lot like in texas the reports of people being harmed by bigfoot but i always say where's the police reports you know what mm-hmm. <laughs> how come they don't know about this you know <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, urban legends, you know, uh, old wives' tales. Uh, Someone says they saw a Sasquatch. Before you know it, after it's been passed on to eight people, it was the Sasquatch came roaring out of the bush and scared the hell of them. (laughs) Kind of like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I tell you, I. um, For the people who have literally come face to face with these things um now on a serious note there i know some people personally who after they saw one of these things it it very much disturbed them um messed up their sleep couldn't eat just all kinds of things you know happened to them after that and it, it very much disturbed them um i think that's the part that keeps me going with this whole thing is for those out there who may be listening who believe without a shadow of a doubt that what they saw was one of these creatures and it changed their life forever i, I just can't even imagine what that must be like to see something that the scientific world tells you doesn't exist Absolutely, and 98% of the population tells you it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And, and you get yeah. ridiculed or, for it. I mean, not that get... high anymore. Like 80% of the population tells you it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, 
telling you, I'm noticing a lot more than I did in the past where people's reaction to seeing this thing. It's not one of tremendous fear or wonder. It's uh, more like a reaction of, you got to be blank, blank, blank kidding me. Right, exactly. And then all of a sudden, everything that you thought you knew gets turned upside down. Because yeah, exactly. where do these things spin? Yeah, exactly. I like what we had a site. I have looked into a sighting here in in 2008, and where the husband said to his wife, "Don't ever tell anybody we saw this. Don't ever, because he'd been hunting. He never believed in it, and he still won't." He still won't say it was mm. a Sasquatch. He says, I don't, I don't know what it was. It fit the description of the Sasquatch. It acted like what people say when they see a Sasquatch, but there is no Sasquatch, so it couldn't have been a Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> Some people won't even believe their own eyes. And that's the funny thing. Wow. Yeah. But to get back, like, uh, after I published that third book, In Search of Giants, I co-authored a number of others. Mm, yeah, uh, I got Chris Murphy's idea, and he approached myself and John Green, and that resulted in in Meet the Sasquatch, and that was published in 2004. It was supposed to be Chris wanted to put out something that would be like a, you know, a textbook quality that they could use in institutions and the colleges and things like that. And I think it came mm-hmm. out very well. And of course, the last mm-hmm. book. Was, I do have that one. Yeah, but the done by Chris Berg and myself was Sasquatch in British Columbia, and that came out in 2012. And it's uh, basically a history of the Sasquatch mystery here in BC, and believe me, we had to leave a lot out of it, or it would have been three times as thick, from 1700 mm-hmm. to 2012. So, <laughs> yeah, all in British Columbia. Now, for those people who want to purchase the books now where are they available at now if they were to go online right now where could they oh if you go online you can order it directly from handcuffs of publishers amazon i believe cares and you can find them all and here in the pacific northwest least in british columbia i i see them in in the bookshelves if they have books on the sasquatch they usually have mine nice it's like in the east. I I would suggest I would if you want to order it online. I would say uh, contact the publisher directly. Hancock House Hancock House Publishers. They have American office in Blaine, Washington. Excellent. And you know, like I said on the last show that we did, I hate to bring it up, but before we know it, Christmas will be here, and these books would make a great gift, y'all. So. Um, I'm telling you, if you gift one of these books, whoever get it, whoever gets it from you is just going to love you. So it, it's a win-win situation. You, you can't go wrong by getting these books. Um, good. And I think it's read your- very, very important. Oh, I'm sorry, what? I was going to say, good to read around to your kids around the campfire around Halloween time too. Oh yeah, that's a good idea too. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> but yeah, it's it's important that you wrote all that you know information down because um, it, just too many people 
have have had these encounters, and I think for someone who has also seen one, I can imagine reading other people's encounter stories would be very beneficial um, for now, that remember, person. Remember, I don't know what I saw, and I always stick to the facts, never deviate from the facts. Mm-hmm. It was too mm-hmm. far away to detail. I can't say with 100% certainty it wasn't a big freakish guy walking up there. I don't know. But if that was a Sasquatch, I've seen one. I still wonder about it. Wow. Yeah. Well, definitely, um, I know some of you may have noticed that last month we did not have a show, and that was because about the time that we normally do our shows in the middle of the month, we... Here in North Carolina, we're um, buckling up for yet another hurricane, so it kind of threw me off track with everything. Um, Hurricane Dorian came through this area, and before that, just absolutely destroyed the Bahamas. A horrible situation. Um, there was uh, ocean, or, yeah. Green Emerald Isle, I believe the name of it was um, here in North Carolina, which is just north of where we are now here at the coast. A tornado went through a campground there and just, I mean, it was horrible. The the campers were all upside down and mangled and everything. And I mean, they got hit by the tornado worse than they did the hurricane. So it was uh, very trying times recently. And it's, it's good to say that we're coming out of the other end of hurricane season now. So um, I'm hoping things continue to stay calm. So, Thomas, good show. Do you have um, any final words for the listeners? All I could say is uh, the same thing I've always said. Stick the facts, never do the facts, and never go anywhere. At any time without a camera. (laughs) Very good. Well, Thomas, uh, I appreciate you joining me for the show, and we will definitely get back on track now and uh, have another show for you guys for next month. So, Thomas, thank you again. It was good chatting. Happy Halloween, everybody. Yep, happy Halloween, guys. So for Monster X Radio's On the Shoulders of Giants, Talking Old Timers with Thomas, this is Julie Wrench. Thank you guys for listening in, and stay tuned for next month's um, show. We're gonna we always discuss what kind of topic we we would like to bring forth, so we will be discussing that. I have a few ideas, but I'm not going to tell you now, so you'll have to tune in to find out. So thank you very much.